You're listening to the Catholic Foodie number two. <laughs> Welcome to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. My name is Jeff Young, and thank you so much for listening to this episode two of the Catholic Foodie. We have an exciting show today. For those of you who listened to episode one, I think that you will notice a vast improvement in, uh, in this episode. I've learned a few things the last uh, week or so. Actually, I recorded the first episode uh, this past Sunday, and today is a Friday. So just in this, this last several days, five or six days, I have learned a lot about podcasting. I've learned uh, of the, the uh, tremendous importance of bumpers uh, to kind of break things up and also to have like definite segments. So I think you'll find this, uh, this episode much easier to listen to. And I thank you so much for your patience with me and for bearing with episode one. And I look forward to, uh, to this episode. I think we're going to have a good time today. Uh, we're going to talk about Advent a little bit, also about the second coming of Jesus. I have a wine recommendation for you, a new wine that I've just discovered recently. And then I also would like to talk to you about a Christmas gift uh, suggestion uh, idea that I have uh, for you. So thank you once again for listening, and uh, let's jump right on in. Wow, something smells good. Those uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Puckett, the goodie lady? My goodness, she makes some good... Goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a uh, cookies, shortbread chocolate icing between. Very. It's good. Uh, it's very good. Good goodies. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about here in this first segment. A uh, segment I'm going to call uh, "Food for the Soul." Uh, talk a little bit about faith and Advent uh, in this segment. We are still in the first week of Advent. This is Friday of the first week of Advent. And uh, as we have already mentioned, and as we all know, the Advent is a time of preparation for Christmas, for the coming of Jesus the Savior at Christmas time. But uh, one thing that uh, sometimes we, we may forget is that it's also a time of preparation for the second coming of Jesus. So it's more of a, uh, here's a big word, okay, eschatological, right? Dealing with the end times or the end things like heaven, hell, and purgatory, uh, death, you know, these, these uh, end things. So eschatological, right? The, the, the final return of Jesus, the second coming. In Advent, we also look forward to that because that's the time when Jesus will definitively uh, make all things new, a new heavens and a new earth, and uh, will save us, will experience uh, salvation in that way. Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, and I pray that he has mercy on me and has mercy on all of us. So when I think of uh, Jesus returning, when I think of uh, the second coming, I, I, I tend to think of heaven, right? Because Jesus is in heaven right now, and, and heaven is like this big, huge question mark. What is it about? I mean, nobody's been there. We have glimpses of it in the scriptures. We have images from the Old Testament. We've got images in the New Testament. Jesus talks about heaven, and also we see, like in the book of Revelation, a very detailed uh, also kind of highly symbolic uh, vision of, of heaven. So I, I think about heaven when I think about Jesus returning, 
And uh, there's a few passages here in, in uh, the New Testament that I'd like to talk about today that have to do with heaven. And believe it or not, they have to do with food. As a matter of fact, if we, uh, if we look in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, we read about heaven as a wedding banquet, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And there are other references in the scriptures to this, this uh, concept of um, heaven being a wedding banquet. We see that. Jesus told a parable about it. Uh, we see some imagery in the Old Testament as well. But when you think about a wedding feast or a wedding banquet, I mean, that, that deals with food. So even though um, we don't know all the details about it or what it'll be like, but we can kind of have an idea, a picture, or at least even an expectation that there will be food in heaven, which sounds awesome, by the way. And I've heard some people say, yeah, you can eat whatever you want and you won't gain any weight. So out of all the different references we have in the Bible about heaven and food and feasts and banquets and all of that, I want to I talk today just about two, two images that we see. And the first one comes from the book of Revelation. And uh, once again, this is another quote from the book of Revelation. This is chapter 3, verse 20. And any of you who know about the Divine Mercy Chaplet, oftentimes you see the first part of this, this passage uh, in relation to, uh, to Jesus and the Divine Mercy. Matter of fact, there's a famous painting, and I can't remember the name of it, that is um, a, a painting of this, the first part of the scripture. And you may remember that. It is uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, and uh, here it is. Uh, Jesus, we, it doesn't say specifically, it talks about the Lord saying this, I believe, but it's, uh, it's Jesus, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter his house and dine with him and he with me. I will dine with him and he with me. That is awesome, that, to, to dine with Jesus. What about, I mean, you talk about an incredible meal that would be. Um, but it's, it's it, you know, it, he talks about opening up the door and, and that he would come in and what? He could talk about tons of different things, but he talks about dining. It's, it's also this sort of imagery of heaven as this, this banquet, this feast, uh, which, which involves like celebration and happiness and joy and uh, contentment and, and all these wonderful things that we can experience with celebrations and, and feasts. You know, this, this image that Jesus presents us the, of, of dining with him is really a very intimate image. Uh, and I think, I think we can see that sharing a meal with someone can be a very intimate experience. I mean, we can see that very clearly when, you know, when you're dating and you want to take your your date out, uh, you would. I mean, it's oftentimes we take them out to a, a very nice restaurant to eat. Uh, when we have guests over to the house, we'll pull out the best china uh, to entertain them. Uh, we go to wedding receptions. We have family celebrations of like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. All of these with meals, and so in these special occasions, the ordinary act of eating because some becomes something special, right? It becomes something extraordinary. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. And, and I find this, this whole image, this whole concept of, of, uh, of dining, of, of sharing meals, we see the same thing in, in the New Testament with Jesus sharing the table with sinners. I mean, the, the Pharisees used to um, complain about that all the time, that Jesus 
would share the table with sinners. Uh, that's a, um, it's an incredible image, and there's something really important here about sharing the table. Um, and I find it fascinating. I mean, this is one of the reasons that I started this podcast, and I plan to revisit this idea of sharing a meal uh, in future episodes. But there's also another story that I'd like to talk about, and that is the wedding feast of Cana. John, in his gospel, records, um, a, 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 I guess it's famous now, one of these, uh, these special occasions in which you know, food and drink were elevated from something that was ordinary to something extraordinary. And I'm talking about the wedding feast of Cana. I mean, Jesus was in, Mary and Jesus invited to this, uh, this wedding feast, and wedding feasts were a big deal in, in uh, ancient um, uh, Israel. And uh, the, the, it, would, it, would take, it could take days. I mean, they would party for days uh, with wedding feasts. And I've, once again, I'm not an expert theologian, but I have read a little bit about uh, how, how they used to celebrate weddings. Very, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. If you ever have a chance to look any of that up, it's a beautiful uh, ceremony itself. But the entire, like all the traditions surrounding weddings in uh, in that Middle Eastern culture and especially in in Israel is just so um, so beautiful. Uh, but anyway, that y'all know this story. It's a very famous story that uh, the bride and the groom ran out of wine. And at first, you know, at first it may seem strange to us that they're having this like wedding reception and they want to run out of wine. But when you think about it, if this party could have been lasting days, then it may not be so surprising that they ran out of wine. But uh, Anyway, what happens, you know, Mary intercedes with Jesus, and Jesus ends up performing his first miracle, and he changed water into wine. And two things about this that's always stuck out with me when I hear this story. First of all, he didn't just change a bottle of water into a bottle of wine. He changed stone jars full of water into wine. I mean, that is a lot of wine. There's no telling how many people were at the wedding reception or the wedding party, um, we don't know how long it went on. We don't know when they ran out. But he didn't do just a little bit. He did a lot. And the second thing that, that occurs to me or stands out to me is that it was not an inferior wine. When he did it, he did it good, you know. He made some good wine. And so much so that the steward, the, the steward of the, the party, was surprised. He was, like, genuinely shocked. He's like, most people bring out the good stuff first, so that people could enjoy it, and then only after they've kind of gotten tipsy or whatever, uh, they bring out the inferior wines. And here he is, he's waited till the end, and he's brought out the good stuff. So what does that tell me about Jesus and, and, and food? I mean, it's, this whole thing is like a symbol or, or an image of God and God's love for us, and he doesn't do it halfway. He doesn't just do a little bit. He doesn't just do it to where he gets by you know, uh, in, in, in blessing us, he goes over the top. He pulls out the best china. You know, he, he buys the most expensive bottle of wine. I mean, he goes all the way when he's showing his love for us. And I think that it's just such a beautiful uh, image of God, and it, and it really kind of helps us to understand how much God loves us and how good God is. So um, Wedding Feast of Cana, awesome. Great story, can really show us a lot about God a lot about how much Jesus loves us. He, he goes over the top, and that is just so 
good. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Sorry, this is the fun bee, the humdrum bees back there. And speaking of wine, uh, I recently had a, a bottle that I would like to, uh, to share with you. Uh, I love Cabernet. Cabernet Sauvignon is one of my favorites, uh, if not my favorite, actually. And uh, I've, I've tried a number of different uh, uh, bottles, different labels of uh, Cabernet. And, you know, some of the ones that uh, I buy on a regular basis, like I may just have basically a table wine, like a Yellowtail or uh, Lindman's or something like that, which is very inexpensive wine, 5 or $6 a bottle, uh, not, not very expensive, but it's something you can have it in, in the evening with dinner or whatnot, just a regular table wine. Um, I, I kind of enjoy them for a while, but at the same time they can have a... It's hard to explain. I'm not a... Uh, a wine connoisseur. I don't. I don't have any credentials in that respect, uh, and I, I don't even know if I have the language really to communicate what I'm trying to communicate. But in my layman's terms, I would say that sometimes the um, the yellowtails and the, uh, the 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 Lindmans and, and whatnot that they can become a sort of almost a, a sour aftertaste. It can have like a sour aftertaste or a um, have you ever had a uh, a drink like a, I'm thinking Kool Aid for some reason? Kool Aid comes to mind, where it's just not mixed up right. You you still have some I guess what you could call sediment at the bottom, sugar sediment at the bottom, um, and when you get down to the end, it's got that real real sweet like just too sweet kind of a taste. I think all of it's too sweet for me, but you know you get down to the end, you can really taste that or. Um, some other kind of, of drink that you mix, and maybe even chocolate milk, right? It's just not mixed up that well, and when you get down to the bottom, you have like a bunch of chocolate down there, and it changes the taste of what you've been drinking. Well, I, I feel like it's, it's like that with, uh, with Yellowtail and Lindman's and those types of, of wines. Uh, you, you can drink it, and at first it tastes okay, and then the more you, you drink it, it's, it's, it's got this kind of taste to it. Like, uh, like it's just not mixed up right. It's just, it just doesn't go down smoothly. That's the key word there, smoothly. It's just not smooth. It's rough around the edges. And so that's why I was so thrilled when I came across this bottle of Behringer 3rd Century Cabernet Sauvignon. And it's actually, the bottle I have right now is a 2004. And I'll tell you how I came across this bottle. This is the second bottle. It's unopened. But I did have a bottle of this a few weeks back, and it was uh, it was phenomenal. Um, and I'll tell you I'll tell you uh, why I think it's phenomenal. It is so smooth. When I drink Cabernet Sauvignon, I really want it to be dry. First of all, I really don't want it sweet. Uh, I don't think Cab is supposed to be sweet. So very dry, and just a really smooth finish. Um, the back of the label here on the Behringer. Uh, once again, the name of it is uh, Behringer 3rd Century 
Cabernet Sauvignon, this is a 2004. The back of the label says, um, Now in our third century of crafting classic wines, we honor the passion of our winemaking pioneers with wines that embrace the future and speak eloquently of Behringer's rich heritage. Our Cabernet Sauvignon showcases some of California, California's premier North Coast vineyards, including Napa, Sonoma, and the Lake County. This full-bodied wine bursts with bright red and black fruit flavors that lead to a long, smooth finish. And I can attest to that, uh, to that last sentence. It really does. It's a very nice bottle. It's not that expensive. I saw it online advertised for 10 to $12 uh, retail. So not a very expensive bottle of wine, but it's very nice. It's very smooth. And uh, why don't you go get a bottle, try it, and tell me what you think about the Behringer 3rd Century Cabernet Sauvignon. Now, I will tell you uh, how I got my bottles. I got them from my, uh, my father-in-law. He has a wine cellar in his, uh, in his house. And he has, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a walk-in, a very nice wine cellar. Lots of wines, lots of different kind of wines. Some very, um, uh, how, how do you term, how would you say this? Uh, expensive wines and wines that are old, like 1950s and 1940s and things like that. It's really phenomenal. But he also tries a lot of different uh, new wines that are out and around. And he happened to have a, 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 a case or two of this Behringer 3rd Century, and he gave us a couple of bottles a few weeks back. So I think I'm going to save this bottle for a special occasion. Uh, the first one we had, it was just a regular night, and uh, it was just so good. So anyway... Try it out and let me know what you think. Yes, we are still in Advent and preparing for Christ's coming, but we're also preparing for family celebrations at Christmas. And these celebrations often entail gift giving. So I want to offer uh, an idea, a suggestion for uh, a gift for the foodie in your life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just at a total loss as to what to give certain people. Uh, but what I like to do when I'm in that situation is just give them something that I would enjoy, and that usually works out well. So if you are wondering what to get the foodies in your life, why not get them a cookbook? I have a uh, particular one in mind that I'd like to recommend to you, and it's Alton Brown's, um, or Alton Brown's Feasting on Asphalt, The River Run. Um, I purchased this book uh, a number of months back when, uh, when Alton came to New Orleans for a book signing. Uh, it was a Wednesday evening. I can't remember the exact date, but it was a Wednesday evening. And uh, me and, and my wife, uh, Char, and the, the three children, uh, we made the 45-minute trip across Lake Pontchartrain to Octavia Books on Octavia Street in uptown New Orleans. And uh, I'm so glad we made the trip. You know, my kids had been begging to go to the signing. They love Alton Brown, and uh, I don't know if y'all have seen his Food Network uh, show, Good Eats, but it's, it's phenomenal. The kids love it. We love it. And as a matter of fact, the kids really prefer, oftentimes, they prefer to watch Food Network over watching cartoons. So <laughs> I know that I have uh, strange children, but I guess they just get it from me. 
Uh, anyway, we made the trip across the lake, and we stood in line for about an hour and a half, I guess. And, uh, you know, with three little kids, it's not that easy to, to stand in line for an hour and a half, you know. And it may have actually been closer to two hours, but it was really worth it. I mean, it was really cool to meet Alton, you know, and, and we spoke with him for a few moments. And I think because we had the, the kids and my son especially, who's an aspiring actor and he's been in plays and, and all of that, he goes to acting class, um, and he's not shy at all. I mean, he kind of latched on to Alton and was engaging him in conversation and asking him questions and telling him how much he loves the show. And so we got to spend, I think, a few more moments with him than a lot of other people in line. Um, but, you know, we, we got to take our picture with him. And then he signed our copy of Feasting on Asphalt. And uh, he addressed it, his autograph, he addressed it to the kids, actually. So, you know, to Christopher and Annabelle and Grace, you know, from Alton Brown or whatever. It was really, really neat. And, uh, and the kids were just so excited to have met him. But anyway, after we left the bookstore, we ended up at a little hole in the wall right down the street from the bookstore. It's, uh, it's called Frankie and, uh, and Johnny's, Frankie and Johnny's. And it's known as a New Orleans neighborhood restaurant. It's really kind of like a staple of New Orleans culture. Every, you know, it's been around forever, and uh, it's right there, not too far from the river um, in uptown New Orleans. And it, it, when you look at it from the outside, because it's been there for a while, when you look at it from the outside, it looks like a shack. It looks like a shack, but it's really more like a shotgun house, you know, where you have to go through each room to get to the back of the house. Uh, that's really what it is. A shotgun house has been converted into this, into this restaurant. And when you walk in the front door, the first place you arrive in, I mean, you walk into the bar. You know, the bar's there. It's kind of dim, dimly lit. Uh, a lot of wood, a lot of wood paneling. You know, the bar's to your left, and you've got the big you know, the, the, the big mirror that kind of spans the wall right there behind the bar, and you have all the liquor bottles stacked up or lined up on shelves right there in front of the mirror. They've got a number of different beers on tap, and it's just a really, it's a long bar. Um, I can't, I'm terrible at numbers, so I can't even begin to give an estimate of how long that is, but I don't know, probably, I guess I'll try to give an estimate. It's probably 20, 25 feet maybe 30 feet or something it's a it's a long bar and uh on the other side of the bar like like the other wall when you walk in the door like to the right they have a a jukebox and you know a lot of places have jukeboxes but i don't think anybody else has a jukebox like this because it only plays 45s i mean how amazing is that no cds none of that stuff it plays 45 records that's amazing i haven't seen a 45 in Goodness, I can't, I mean, 30 years? I have no idea how long it's been. It's been a long time since I've seen a 45. Anyway, so that's really kind of neat. And then they have a little little area for dancing if if couples want to get out there and dance at night. And um, anyway, there besides the bar, like once you're in the bar, you'd have to keep walking straight back, and it's all open space, but you're walking straight back into two different rooms, and those two rooms are like the dining area. And, uh, you know, it's it's... It's lit a little more, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's more, it's better lit. <laughs> I guess that's how you say it. It's just better lit in the dining room areas. Uh, but still, it's not overbearing. And all the tables have the, the red and white checkerboard uh, cloths on it, tablecloths, which is really kind of neat. And uh, this place, it, it specializes in seafood, but they also serve like po'boys, various types of po'boys. 
and muffaladas. And if you don't know what a po' boy is, it's, it's sort of like a, a sub, right? It's sort of like a Subway sandwich. But they're called, originally they were called poor boys because this is what the poor people would, would eat if they were out working, what they would buy because they were cheap. It was just a big piece of bread, French bread, stuffed with, you know, stuff, meat or, or seafood or whatever. But it wasn't anything extravagant. It was a, the poor man's meal, so a poor boy. And it's been shortened now to po' boy, po' boy. And then muffaladas, of course, um, the Italian, uh, beautiful, wonderful, delicious Italian sandwiches. I love the muffaladas with the, uh, the olive salad in there. It's, it's so good. Um, but anyway, Frankie and Johnny's, they're also really famous for their seafood-stuffed artichokes. So if you love artichokes and stuffed artichokes and you're ever in New Orleans, you, you want to go to Frankie and Johnny's and try out their seafood-stuffed artichoke. So anyway, that's enough about the restaurant. It was really it was a good night. It was a good way to end up meeting Alton Brown. When we were at the bookstore, we were thinking maybe, maybe we should ask him where he's going to eat tonight so we can kind of you know find out what's good. What is this Food Network star? Where does he go to eat when he's in New Orleans? But uh, didn't, didn't think of it right then. I thought about that after the fact, so never asked him. Anyway, this is uh, all about the book, right, the cookbook that we got, which is... Uh, Feasting on Asphalt. And so why, why do I recommend this? Well, uh, this cookbook does more than just catalog recipes. You know, you can, uh, matter of fact, just the other day, my wife for her birthday got a Rachel Ray uh, cookbook. And if you look at it, it, it really all it is is a catalog of recipes. That's all it is. And which is just not, to me, it's just not that appealing. It's just a bunch of recipes. I'll use the book. I will definitely cook some stuff out of there. But it's not that appealing. But this book, Feasting on Asphalt, tells a story, and it, it chronicles Alton's journey along the Mississippi River from, I mean, from the mouth of the river in New Orleans all the way up to Missouri, uh, it was, and it was a journey he made on his motorcycle. He and also the, the crew that traveled with him, they had, they had a van that carried the equipment and all of that, but the other guys, I can't remember how many of them there were, but the other guys all rode motorcycles. And they just stopped from town to town, went from town to town, going up the river, and just stopped at these small towns, and they would eat, you know, uh, in local places, mom-and-pop restaurants, and, uh, you know, just real down-home kind of food. But it was a, it's, it's just an incredible story. And he gets into the lives of the people that he, that he meets, the people that own these restaurants, and uh, other people in town, and what they, how they see these restaurants as being and the food in the restaurants, and he's got recipes as well that he collected from them and puts them into the book. And it's more of a story um, than, than, a, than like a cookbook. And they also, he, he would make notes in his little notebook whenever he was uh, on the road. And the, the way that they actually present the book, the, the presentation of the book itself is just so neat because the cover is, is really heavy-duty cardboard and it's colorful, uh, the inside looks more like a notebook or a scrapbook than it does, you know, a, a cookbook. And it's got lots of pictures of the food and the people that he encountered. And uh, the, the, the publishers also print or reproduce the, the handwritten notes that Alton made. So at different parts of the journey, you see some comments he made in his notebook, and it appears right there on the page, and it looks just like a notebook page, like a piece of paper from a, from a little memo book that's put right there onto the page of the cookbook. Really cool, really neat. I've, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you can tell he has a real love of down-home family 
restaurants, family-owned restaurants, and, and local food, food and local traditions. And uh, he, at one point, at one point, he stopped in a town, and there was a church fair going on. And so they went and ate at the church fair. And one of the comments he made in the book is that that was some of the best food they had on the trip was at that church fair. So I just it's just a really good, really simple book. And I would highly encourage you to check it out if you are looking for a gift for someone who loves food and uh, uh, feasting. And you don't have to actually feast on asphalt. Don't eat the asphalt. But um, to, to, to feast or to eat food then, or loves to cook, then why not try out this book? Go, uh, you can look at it. I got a note in my uh, show notes on the uh, website, catholicfoodie.com. And I even have a link placed there to uh, this book located on Amazon. So you can go check that out. And uh, it may be the, the, an idea that you'd like. are in, they pipe in the carols, and it's all joy and Christmas spirits. Not only that, our neighbors put up their Christmas tree on November 7th. I thought they were members of some obscure Eastern Orthodox sect that celebrates Christmas in November. All this commercial, non-stop, two-month celebration of Christmas has completely pushed out any sense of preparation for the joyous season of Christmas and all the wonderful traditions that go with Advent. Here at the Catholic New Media Roundup, we want to do something about that. Every day in December at catholicroundup.com, come and join us for our Catholic New Media Advent Calendar. Each day, a different Catholic New Media celebrity will be preparing some sort of goodie to help us put Advent back in December and to help us have a sense of preparing for the coming of our Lord Jesus. Join us at catholicroundup.com. Oops, I pressed that twice. Anyway, uh, Sean is doing such an awesome job with this Advent calendar. I encourage you to go over to catholicroundup.com and check that out. Well, I have received some feedback from the show from this, uh, well, this past week I have. I've received some feedback. And I want to give a shout-out to Mike Linder. Thank you, Mike, so much for emailing me. Uh, he, he had some positive things to say about Episode 1, which uh, I really do appreciate. He thinks it's a, it's a great idea. The show itself is a great idea. And I, I thank you so much, Mike, for, uh, for your encouragement. And I really do look forward to any ideas you may have. If you want to share some ideas with me, 
I know you mentioned that you are a home brewer and a beer, uh, let's say aficionado, <laughs> and uh, much like myself, and I, I look forward to talking to you some more and getting some ideas from you for uh, spots for beer on the show. I also want to thank uh, Lisa Hendy of the Catholic Moments podcast. She ran the Catholic Foodie promo for me this past week. I think it was Wednesday. The latest episode of Catholic Moments came out, and she ran the Catholic Foodie promo there. So, Lisa, thank you so much, and I really do enjoy your podcast. I encourage all of my listeners here to go over to Catholic Moments uh, podcast and and, uh, give a listen to, uh, to Lisa. I also want to thank Julie D. for uh, sending me an email. Uh, Julie was so kind in her comments and her encouragement of uh, the Catholic foodie. And she also has a podcast that she, uh, that she does. It's, um, I'll have to put a, a link on the show notes, but it's basically about the forgotten classics. These are uh, written works that are, you know, like the, they're in public domain that she reads on, uh, on a podcast. So very wonderful. I just, you know, thankfully for her email, I just discovered her. So I am starting to listen to uh, the hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com. That is the email or the, uh, the, the URL address. And I will put a link in the show notes as well. So Julie D., thank you so much. I also want to thank all of my Plurk buddies, my Plurk friends, uh, people who are part of my uh, network on Plurk.com. I want to thank all of them for their encouragement and their support as well. And I want to encourage you, if you uh, don't know anything about Plurk, uh, check it out. It's a social networking tool, and you get to meet lots of new friends, neat friends, people who are involved. And, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends who are teachers on Plurk, so they're involved in education. I also have a lot of Catholic uh, listeners or ca- people who listen to SQPN, for instance, the StarQuest Production Network, uh, who's, it's a Catholic podcasting uh, network. And I'm friends with all of these people as well. So it's a really neat community of people. And if you are not part of that, you might want to go ahead and uh, check out Plurk.com. When you get there, you could find me as um, Alberioni, A-L-B-E-R-I-O-N-E, Alberioni. That's uh, from Blessed James Alberioni. I kind of stole his last name there as my username. So uh, anyway, I think we've come to the end of the show. I thank you so much for listening. And uh, until next time. Bon appétit.